I feel like that was good. I guess it doesn't matter whether I feel like it was good or not. I think it was good. How do you feel? Ah, I like it. He said it doesn't matter. Amen. It doesn't matter. Praise God. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm totally not prepared. I mean, I am, but it's going to take me a second. It's okay. I've been listening to some preachers this week during the week of fasting. It's surprising when you fast media and food, how much extra time you have to listen to people teach the word of God. It's just mind-blowing. Um, and let me challenge you. Okay, now we've come to the end of the week of fasting. Uh, Friday night in the car on the way to Aberdeen, we had a great time. We had lots of conversation. Um, I'm glad you didn't hear the conversation. <laughs> Some of it literally was silly and uh, borderline inappropriate. I don't think it really was, but really close. Um, but I'll, some of it was spiritual, and we went back and forth, and we just weaved it. And the whole time in the car, I'm thinking, this is what it's supposed to be. It's not like I can't have spiritual conversations and fun at the same exact time. And one of the comments that came out was that um, someone had heard someone else in our district pray that, th- that what we've en- encountered and grown in would become our new baseline. You know what that means? Like this week, you've fasted, you've prayed, you've experienced God. I've loved reading what you guys have posted on the YouVersion app, seeing things that I didn't see. I'm like, I had to go back. Some of you posted stuff, and I'm like, I never saw that. And I went back, and sure enough, it was there. I just didn't see it. I didn't see it the way you saw it. And so it was so fun to, to interact with each other and, it's, and even moving forward. Um, but those things that have happened this week, happen because we set our hearts to seek him. Don't, don't let ourselves now drift back into the old life. Let this be the new baseline. Now, that doesn't mean you have to fast all the time, but if you need to until you get a better handle on it, do it. But let's do a lifestyle fast. Once a week, once a, once a month, something, one meal, one hour even, for goodness sake, let's do something to just set our hearts and then let's let this be the new baseline. Amen. Are you in? Praise God. All right. Um, if you do want a, a paper copy, this is the last one I have of the paper devotionals. If you do have this, um, the Nehemiah devotion ends on Friday, but we are not going to start the new one on Saturday. It's going to bump to Monday, okay, because the sermon I'm about to preach today became two weeks And so we're going to need an extra week, which is kind of nice because we're going to continue through the book of Nehemiah this week. So it's just going to flow together great. And uh, but I have one more paper copy. Um, Do all things possible to get on the YouVersion app. okay? or on your computer. You can do it on your computer um, because the best part of this journey together is talking about it together. And so that's been the best part for me. That is supposed to be the best part. But, um, and then Wednesday night, if you're here for Wednesday night Bible study, this week we start a spirit-empowered life. If you can't afford a book, but you will read it, come talk to me and I'll find a way to get one for you, okay? Um, if you're not gonna read it, I won't find a way to get one for you. But if you will read it, uh, I'll find a way to get one for you, okay? But don't not come because you don't have a book. You're gonna gain from the discussion and the, the, the group interaction uh, just as much. And so um, you've got a lot of excuses. Well, I'm not a reader, I don't have time. Um, you know, I do too. But anyway, 
A Spirit-Empowered Life, that chapters 1 and 2 are what we're reading for this week, so come prepared uh, to discuss that with your group on Wednesday night, but don't you dare stay home because you're not prepared. Amen? Amen. Perfect. All right, well, today um, is 2020 Vision. Every year, uh, we take a Sunday and we talk about the vision God has given us, and as I was preparing this over the last, really, the last couple months, um, it dawned on me that what we have been going through as a church over the last two years, and if you're on our leadership team, the last three to seven years, um, that the process that we've been going through, um, a large majority of the people in the room have absolutely no idea about it. And so in order to talk about vision moving forward, I almost have to look back with all of us so that we can uh, together kind of walk through um, where we feel like God is taking us in this week ahead. And so I'm going to talk about the restoration story today a little bit, and um, like I said, I don't know exactly where we're going to stop. I think I know, and uh, hopefully by 1130 I get there. Um, I'm not going to get as far as I want, but uh, come back next week and we'll talk about the rest of it. Um, Next week we're really going to talk about what we believe are our core values as a church, and we're going to start unpacking them and what they look like. And so first, let's talk about Nehemiah. And there, there's a reason I picked the book of Nehemiah. I picked the book of Nehemiah for this vision sermon Sunday um, before I found the version um, devotion from Nehemiah. In fact, it actually got birthed in my heart when I was at North Central University when um, I didn't know what passage I wanted to use to, to share vision with us. And a guy by the name of, I don't remember his name, but he was from New Jersey, so it was kind of fun. Um, to hear him speak, and so uh, he, he spoke from Nehemiah, and uh, God just lit it up in my heart, because the thing about the book of Nehemiah, oh, and then by the way, when I found the, the, the Bible reading plan, and it was called From Rubble to Restoration, that just made me happy. Um, so anyway, um, so here we go. Um, the book of Nehemiah is a book about vision, because Nehemiah saw injustice, and so he took it to the Lord. And the Lord put it in his heart what to do. And the church does not do that. Okay, now, I I need to stop right here. When I say the church today, every time I say it, I include me, all of you, and I'm talking about the American church, because that's all I'm really familiar with. I'm not that familiar with the church worldwide. And they've got their own problems. Um, They're just not our problems. Does that make sense? I mean, they've got different problems than we do. So I'm only referring to ours. Okay, so we, we don't do that. We see injustice, and we kind of take matters into our own hands sometimes, or we do nothing, but we rarely take it to the Lord in prayer the way Nehemiah did, and then begin to act on it. And then when Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, so if you haven't read the book of Nehemiah, I'm assuming you have, and so you might get a little lost, but I'll try to keep it, you know, flowy for you. Um, but it's okay, you can read it all this week. It'll be great. And so he goes to Jerusalem and he develops a strategy without telling anyone, remember? He rode around the city, looked at the walls, begins to develop a strategy, and then he puts it into practice. And the execution of that strategy requires him to make adaptations as they go. Because things happen not according to plan, there's some struggles, people are upset. All of a sudden, then it comes to him that some people are, are, are mistreating each other. So right in the middle of all this work, he stops and says, stop it. He corrects them. He's like, you are taking from your your brothers and sisters, and it should not be. Stop it. Pay it back. 
Wow, that's profound. There's so much in the book of Nehemiah I could preach on it for all year, but we're not going to. And then the, the perseverance. They worked with all their might. It's not just about praying hard. It's about working hard. And Nehemiah is a picture of both of those. And then in chapter 4, we find out there's some naysayers. Depending on your translation, it might be somebody, some other word. But there's always going to be opposition. We have this strange idea in the American church that if, if we have a vision as a church, that there will not be opposition. Or that our only opposition will be from people outside the church. And we have this strange idea that if we disagree as believers in a church, that one of us is wrong. We have a lot of strange ideas that really aren't based on the Bible. They're based on our own feelings and our culture. But if we're going to carry out the vision God puts in our hearts, there's going to be opposition. It's going to require that we work hard as if all of it depends on us. But it also requires that we pray hard like all of it depends on God. All of us. Not, well, you be a worker and I'll be a prayer or you be the prayer and I'll... No! All of us working with all of our hearts, praying with all of our hearts. And as we pointed out in the reading this week, there were some of those who worked diligently and there were some of those who didn't do anything. That's so bizarre, but yet the work continued. Now you got to understand in the book of Nehemiah, Israel had been in captivity for 140 years and the city was still in ruin. They were supposed to be in captivity for 70 years and then be brought back to rebuild Jerusalem. 140 years later, it's still not being done. So let me tell you something. Just because God declares something's going to be done, if his people don't do something about it, it doesn't get done. Wow. I mean, Daniel understood from the prophecy, we just finished Daniel, that the captivity would be 70 years. It was the word of God. And it didn't come to pass. Because 140 years later, he has to get some guy who's a cupbearer to the king to come back and build walls. And the thing I love about the book of Nehemiah is they build the walls in 52 days. It's a reminder to us that anything is possible. And see, I have been to Israel, and I have seen, we don't understand it, because when the walls are torn down, built up, torn down, built up, torn down, built up, torn down, the way they were throughout the history of Israel, that doesn't get hauled away by big trucks. They rebuild on the rubble. You know how hard this is? 52 days is a miracle. I have seen the rubble 20 feet down from street level in Israel to this day that they have built on. And they did it in 52 days. See, I used to think rebuilding the walls of the city meant it meant just changing things and changing structure and changing culture. But you know what I think the walls represent in Nehemiah, I think they represent our identity in Christ as individual believers. Because until that is, is settled, and some of you sitting here think you know your identity in Christ, we don't. We don't. When we know that, everything's going to change. The second part is to understand the body of Christ. We also don't know that in the American church. 
We don't know the body of Christ. We don't know our identity. Now, I want to stop and I want to read two passages from Nehemiah before I go further. Nehemiah chapter 8. They, so they finish the walls and then they begin to read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. Okay, making it clear, giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites, excuse me, who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why? Because they realized they had disobeyed the words of the law. And they were weeping. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, I believe that the church has drifted from the word of the Lord. I believe we have. We didn't realize it, but we have. I'm going to show you it in here a little bit. And some things that I say today could cause you to feel sorrowful, guilty, frustrated, maybe even angry. Let me remind you from here, this is not a day for that. This is a day to understand that our identity is already secure, even if we have yet to measure up to what God says. He's not here correcting us today because he's mad at us. He's not here today correcting us because he wants us to, to feel guilty. It's, he he wants you to know who you are in Christ. Great choice of songs today so that we were built up in our identity before this. Okay, so we stay away from despair. We walk in the joy of the Lord, but see, this is today's Bible reading. I'm going to ruin tomorrow's Bible reading and give it to you now. In chapter 9, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and their sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord. That is crazy. That's a day right there. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. See, it's not about sorrow, it's not about regret, it's not about despair, but it is about repentance. It is about repentance. There has to come a change. Nehemiah told them, hey, don't be sorrowful, don't be regret. And the next day they put on sackcloth and ashes and did the very thing he told them not to do. I don't think we're supposed to put on sackcloth and ashes. For us in the New Testament, that means repent, change. Change your ways. It doesn't mean come to an altar, cry some tears, and be very sorrowful. Repent means change, turn. And that's what God is calling us to do. So for our church, where this all started back in 2017 and even before, for us as leaders... Okay, we started talking to the church overall in January of 2018, two years ago. And we started talking about this word restoration, bringing God's original design back. 
believing that nothing and no one is beyond hope, believing that against all hope, we're going to put our hope in Christ, believing that as sons and daughters of God, we are called to exercise the authority of Jesus against all injustice on the earth. Well, pastor, can you stop all the injustice on the earth? I don't care. Well, are you going to stop all the injustice on the earth? I don't care. I'm going to focus on what's at hand, and I'm going to keep going. Well, what can our struggling little church do? Not much. But what can our God do? Immeasurably more than anything you and I could even ask or imagine. And here's the truth. We're going to make mistakes. We might even fall down. But we're going to get up, and we're going to fight on. And when we started as leaders, we asked Jesus to show us what needed to change. If you know your Bible, you know there in the Gospels is a story of Jesus going into the temple and he overturns the tables of the money changers. Now, I was tempted, tempted to put tables up here for the sake of effect with some coins on it and literally flip them over so you could get a picture of what's going on here. I love John's account, John chapter 2, because Jesus, it says, fashioned a whip out of cords and went in and drove them out. Okay, you've got to understand, it's obviously a righteous, frustrated anger. <laughs> and what is happening here is he is angry because the, the tax collectors, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the people that were supposed to be helping people get to God were actually hindering people from getting to God for selfish gain. So he flipped over their tables and he said, you've made my house a den of robbers and it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. So as leaders, we asked God, if you could come into our church, what would you flip over? Because here's the thing, when I was growing up, I grew up in a church that was very legalistic, very, um, and I don't talk about it in a negative way. I love my home church, and I love the support they've given me. They've got flaws. So do I. Their flaws are different than my flaws, so sometimes religious pride comes in and makes me feel like, well, I'm better than them, but it's not true. They're just different flaws. We're all the same. We're equal in Christ, and we're all complete anyway. So, but when I was growing up, if you brought, like, candy bars to sell in church, sure enough, one of the saints of God would walk up to you and say, Sonny, you're not supposed to sell candy bars in the house of God. You're making it a den of robbers. No kidding, in that grumpy tone. And do you know what? Totally not what Jesus did there. Because we, would, we could go without selling any products in the house of God, but still be preventing people from coming into the presence of God. And if we asked him, Father, show us what we do that is self-serving, selfish, that actually hinders people from coming into the, the presence of God. Because in the American church, there's a lot of it. And I believe he's been showing it to us. I believe he's been teaching us and showing us how to make changes because you've got to understand, the Pharisees did not start bad. They started good. They had a zeal to follow the commandments of God. They had a zeal to help others follow the commandments of God. But little by little by little by little over time, it became self-serving and it became selfish. I think it's happened to the American church too. There's a story about a pastor who 
had no idea about construction work, but their church was in a building program. <laughs> I kind of relate to this story. And he wanted to help. He wanted to have, I, I want to have some skin in the game. I want to do something. And he was annoying the guys because they knew he couldn't really help. So they finally said, okay, here's what we need. They've got about 100 boards that need to be cut, eight foot each board. So they show him how to measure the board, eight feet, cut it, and then you, tonight when we're at home, you cut those boards and you stack them over here, eight feet each board, so that when we come tomorrow, we're ready to start. All right, all right. The pastor's like, yeah, I get to do something. So they send him home, and he, he takes a tape measure, he measures first board, eight feet, he puts it up on the saw, bam! But then the pastor has a great idea. I don't need to get the tape measure out again. I'm going to take this board and we'll measure the next board. So he puts the next board up there, puts the board on it, measure it. Some of you are already with me. Some of you don't know because I didn't know yet either. And they drew a line and then he cut that board. And then he took that board and he measured. And do you know what's happening? Every board he's cutting is getting longer than eight feet. Not by much. But because he stopped using the standard and because it was so incremental, he didn't see it. Even in the stacking, so small, eighth of an inch maybe. What do you think those guys saw in the morning when the last board is nine feet? <laughs> it's the last time you're helping. But it shows us that's, that's, that's easily what can happen because in the American church, we still interpret the word of God to back up everything we do. But our interpretation of the word has changed by an eighth of an inch. An eighth of an inch, an eighth of an inch, an eighth of an inch. And we need to start asking, what are we doing that's cultural? And what are we doing that's biblical? Because if it's biblical, it will never change ever. If it's cultural, it's expendable. Always. And that's easy to say until it becomes my preference. But you know what? Some of those preferences actually hinder people from coming into the kingdom. And we sit in our church services and we're like, I don't understand why people don't come and enjoy this service just like me. Well, because we're preventing that. So we didn't like that as leaders. And so we started praying into it. And it was hard because there's stuff we like. I didn't like this table. The leaders that I was with were like, you know, you should preach from a table. I didn't like it. In fact, the week before I was ready to scrap the table, all I did was seat to the side, and I liked the table. An eighth of an inch is all I had to do. And now when I go places and they make me stand up to preach, I don't know what to do. Because I'm so used to sitting down and teaching. By the way, Jesus always sat down to teach too, so it's okay. Um, it's more biblical. <laughs> totally kidding. Don't joke now. <laughs> that was great. So many meanings in that. All right. So, where was I? I was shifting my seat just an eighth of an inch. So when we started, when we started praying, the word restoration came to our heart. This verse, Second, Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. You see, the only way you can just rejoice all the time is know who you are in Christ. Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you're in bad situations, you're, you're led by your, your, your bad situation. You're led by your emotions. 
If you get offended at other people when they say things to you or they accuse you of stuff, you don't know who you are in Christ. It's, it's the bottom line. And that's not a judgment. That's not mean. That's just truth. When we get upset, if we can't be corrected by other people, if we can't even have false accusations leveled against us without being angry, we don't know who we are in Christ. Because their opinion ultimately does not trump what God says. And they can accuse, well, but other people are going to think, and other people, he isn't. And he's the one you should be concerned about. Because he'll make sure if your reputation needs to be something, he'll make sure. You don't have to spend all your time and energy trying to fix it. Now, you've got to live with integrity so that you don't bring a bad name to your own reputation. But you don't have to worry about that because you're in him. And so we, we felt like after praying into it for months that we actually needed to change the name of our church to restoration. And I know that changing our name or changing what we call things won't automatically change things by themselves. But we have to make sure it's an intentional change. Because here's the thing, we will not have transformation if we do the same thing the same way all the time. And so the change of name, the change of, of direction, the change that we're making is to try to be more intentional biblically, not to try to frustrate you because, oh, what do we call that thing again? Not to try to make you angry. I slip up too. I slip up in staff meeting and Pastor John is right there to remind me and he does it so nicely. He just says what it really is and I'm like, thank you. Because it's hard to change, but change we must. You know, in the scripture, God changed Abram to Abraham. He changed Jacob to Israel. He changed Cephas to Peter. He changed Saul to Paul as a prophetic declaration of what he was about to do. Not because they already changed. And I don't know why one of the disciples didn't walk up to him and say, Lord, uh, just calling him Peter is not going to change who he is. Why didn't they do that? Because God knows if you start calling something by that name, eventually it's going to become your identity. See, we can call ourselves Restoration Church and not change a thing. But every time we say it, we can remember that's who we are. Now here's the thing. We are an Assembly of God church, and I'm proud of uh, being an Assembly of God church. Hopefully not like spiritually proud, but just proud, proud, in a good proud way. We are and we will continue to be an Assemblies of God church as long as they stay biblical. I'm not foolish enough to think I've watched enough denominations go to the wayside that we won't ever. We could. I pray we never do. And I will do everything in my power to help us stay biblical. If we ever became unbiblical, I'd walk away. But until that happens, here we are. The question we begin to ask is, does it need to be in our church name? Because having it in our church name, can that actually hinder people from coming into the kingdom? Yes, it really can. And just because it doesn't for you doesn't mean it doesn't for anyone. In our culture today, it can. And calling ourselves Restoration Church actually gets people to try us before they judge us. Because if you've been hurt by an Assembly of God church before you came here, you're not going to come. And so if we can take something away, so that's what we decided. And here's the thing. 22 years of my life I've been in ministry, full-time ministry. 
God has called me to be a uniter. He always has. Now, I haven't learned it all yet. I haven't figured it all out yet. I need to be reminded of it constantly. But God put in my heart right away to be a part of the ministerial association in this community. Many pastors, evangelical pastors, won't be a part of the ministerial association because the mainline guys come. Some of those mainline guys have been my best friends in this community. I still have one that pastors in another community. And when I went through my spell, when I, when I was out of ministry for three months, he called me regularly. When he bumped into me, he said, how are it? How are things going? No, really, how are things going? His name's Barry Whipke. He pastored a Presbyterian church in town. Excuse me, Methodist church in town. Presbyterian guys have been good too. Kevin Channel, Andrew Crandall. I still see Barry at the state fair and he still looks me in the eye and he says, how are things going? And when I answer, he, he stops and says, really? Because he doesn't want me to give him fluff. But here's the thing. Is all of his theology correct? I don't know, and I don't care. He preaches the cross. He preaches salvation. That's all that matters. And if I don't go to the ministerial association, and some of those people aren't Christians, how are they going to become it? I'm a uniter. God put it in my heart to go to James Valley Christian School, where five Mennonite churches came together to establish a school and say, how do you become a corporate church? And you know what the answer was? I'm not sure. No one's ever asked that before. Well, I want to ask. Now, it's five Mennonite churches, an Assembly of God church, and a non-denominational church. Praise God. Do they do everything perfect? Do they do everything the way I do? No. Do they like everything we do? No. But we agree on what matters. We work together. I have always learned from Bethel Church. In, if some of these things you don't understand, that's okay. Bethel Church in Reading. And I, I have friends that, you know, oh, they're followers of Bill Johnson. They left the assemblies. Why? I, I follow Bill Johnson. I love Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson teaches me all kinds of stuff. But here I am in the assemblies. I don't understand. I don't understand why I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. I follow this. I follow that. Why? Did they baptize you? I mean, the Assemblies of God technically didn't baptize me anyway, but they, they did, well, they didn't even ordain me. I mean, let's just call it what it is. But I love them. I hop prayer room. I love it. Why not? I mean, how can you go wrong singing, worshiping Jesus, and praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week? How can that be bad? <laughs> I'm all there. I mean, I'm not doing it because I want to sleep eight hours, but I'm with you. See, I love the fellowship, the accountability, the communion, the, the, even the discipline that I have in the Assemblies of God family, but I love my cousins too. But guess what? I found out they're not cousins. They're brothers and sisters. We think like they're cousins, but they're our brothers and sisters. So then God dropped this, this scripture in our heart. Jeremiah 29, 7, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent to you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare, and it will determine your welfare. And here's what I felt like the Lord was trying to teach us. I want you to serve with no motive other than love. 
See, when churches serve their city, it's so that people come into the kingdom. But you know what? They can smell that motive a mile away. And when you start serving people just because of the value that God has placed on them, and you start serving a city just because of the value God has placed on it, guess what? They're going to come into the kingdom. And you're going to be like, but I didn't even tell you yet. Because people are going to be, they're going to know we're disciples by our love. Not our morality. Not our doctrine. By our Love. And so we did. And Pastor John put together this event. He went to the superintendent, Terry Nebelsek, and he sat down. And he said, hey, what do you have a need of in, in our school system that we could come alongside you with this event we want to have called Beast Feast? Remember it? Beast Feast? And of course, you don't remember because we didn't have it. But we were going to have it, and it was a great vision, and it was a great plan, and he promoted it, and he got a speaker, and he, he got a vision, and, and Terry said to him, he said, you know what, our, 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 our school liaisons, home liaisons, go into homes, and they find needs that they don't have the resources to help with, genuine needs, that, and there's no funds to buy stuff that, that these families need. And John's like, we'll take that. We'll raise money for that. Thank you. So we, we promoted Beast Feast, and we got about $800, $900 worth of donations to have Beast Feast, and no one bought a ticket. Not one ticket. So we wrote a check for $1,000, because that's how much came in for the event, and gave it to the school district and said, use it for your home liaisons. Was that a failure? <laughs> Not at all. But I love a staff that's willing to take a risk, and if it goes bad, Hey, maybe we'll try it again sometime. But, you know, it birthed in our heart this desire to work at National Night Out, at Believe Fest, to have Trunk or Treat, to work at the State Fair, to be a part of the Community Roundtable, to be involved in the Parade of Lights and win awards. Why? Because we're in this city. And we're going to say, hey, we're here. And we want this city to be better. Churches don't do that. And they should. And it, please understand... I'm not judging any other church in town. All I'm saying is, we asked Jesus, what, needs, what would you tip over? And it felt like he started telling us. And sometimes it's hard because we put our identity in it, because we get our identity from our ministry instead of from, from him. And so if our ministry gets cut or our ministry gets changed or our preference gets taken away, that's where our identity was. So then we don't know what to do. That's why it's so important that our identity's in him. So then, my identity's not in my sermon. If you come up after church and say, hey, good sermon, I might say to you, it's only good if you live it out. I mean, because that's the truth. I can impress you, and I can wow you, and I can make you laugh because I do weird stuff. But if you don't change, it's not good. If it does not produce transformation. And you, might come, you can come up and say, Pastor, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. Well, I'm sorry. I apologize. But you know what? I'm not going to lose sleep over that one because my identity's not in my performance. I mean, I'll check to make sure it wasn't terrible. I'll ask a few people. I'll be like, hey, listen to that. Tell me if it was terrible. Sometimes I go home thinking it was terrible even though 10 people said it was great. Feelings. You know, who can explain them? Who can understand them? Just don't live by them. Another thing that God put in our heart was to vote, to vote on, the, on selling this property. And so last year, we approved as a body 
that if we needed to sell this property and find a less expensive way to do church, we could do it. There were contingencies on it that we would find a place where we can actually have a, a church service that we could continue the ministry that we're doing. But that decision placed value on the body over the building. And it was a hard decision to make, and it was not, not a fun decision to make, but we made the decision. And it's a kingdom-first mentality that goes against human logic. Because here's the thing. In the world's eyes, it's a failure to put a for sale sign out here on the corner. Can I tell you, this week at, at work, Pastor John had the opportunity to share our church vision and the gospel with two people because they asked, why are you selling your building? So you can actually look at that as a negative thing. Hey, why are you selling your building? Is there problems there? Is there things going on? No, let me tell you about our vision. We value souls over property. We value people over, over property. We're, we're willing to do whatever it takes. Well, aren't there any ways to save it? Maybe. We're looking for them. But if we can't, we're a body and we're going. You don't have to amen. I'm, I'm okay. But here's the thing. Humility is a magnet for God's grace. Because guess what? I feel it too. I hate when people ask me about it because I'm like, oh, I feel it. I feel like a failure. I feel like oh, I'm making a mistake. I, uh. Humility is a magnet for God's grace. It's a magnet for God's grace. And the scripture says, if you're not willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world, you're not going to serve God. We as a church are willing to put even Isaac on the altar if the Lord asks a building is a tool for the kingdom. A building is not for our comfort or convenience. And if we can do it more efficiently, if we can do it more effectively, if we can do it more productively than we have in the past, we need to. Now, do we have to sell this building to carry out the vision God has for us? No, we don't have to. But let me say this. Do we have to be willing to sell this building to carry out the vision God has for us? Yes, we have to be willing to do anything, anything. And if we're not, we won't. There are prophets in the, the days when the people of Israel were going into exile. And they were warning the people they were going into exile, remember? And Jeremiah was like, you're going to go into exile. And they were like, you're a liar. You're, you're, you're crazy. And God even said, My, these false prophets are prophesying lies. You're not listening to them. There have been people for for almost a decade, maybe longer now, screaming, screaming at the evangelical church in America, you've got to make a change. 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 And we're not hearing it. We're not hearing it. Because we're comfortable, because we've cut the boards of an eighth of an inch, and we're like, no, we're doing everything biblical. The statistics say, let me explain this to you. The statistics say, in the United States, when I say evangelical, that means they believe in the cross. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. It's our life for conduct, salvation through Jesus. That's it. That's evangelical. Evangelical church, Christians in America, less than 7%. Less than 7%. I believe it's true. Maybe a little higher here in our nice little Bible Belt bubble. But across the country, Less than 7%. The average cost of an evangelical baptism in the United States in 2010 was $1.5 million. Because we build bigger buildings 
and we have more expenses, and we get bigger, 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 but somehow we're not making disciples. And somehow we're not bringing people into the kingdom. And somehow it's more about our programs and our preferences and our styles than it is about being the body of Christ that he's called us to be. And something has to change. Now, we were better than that. Last year, we only paid $15,000 per baptism. That's still too much. So either we have to get serious about change and not pray, oh, Lord, please send us people so that we can keep our building. Lord, please send us people that you need to bring into the kingdom, period. And if we can keep the building, great. If we have to sell it, great. I don't care. God, just bring us people that need to go in the kingdom. Do I have three teenagers in the room? Three teenagers. One of you stand, please. Would you stand? And are you a teenager yet, Joel? You're close. Would you stand? Okay, statistically, I'm getting a call. Statistically, two out of three teenagers raised in evangelical churches will leave the faith before they're 30. Two. Which one should we, which one should we keep? I'm preference there. <laughs> Go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. That's, a, that's statistic. And it doesn't matter if they went to Sunday school. It doesn't matter if they were in Bible quiz. It doesn't matter if they were in Awana. Across the board, they've memorized the Bible. But you know what they haven't seen? They haven't seen the church be the church. I mean, yeah, we come and we sit in a room once a week. We're, we're not a body. We're a people that we, we kind of like. And so if, as long as I like the style, as long as I like the preference, I'll stay here. You get a different pastor. I don't like that one, so I'm going to leave. Is that in this book? Oh, we disagree on this. And instead of sitting down and having a conversation because we value relationship over our preference, we just quietly drift away. Well, they must not really love me. They don't really care about me. And we listen to the lies of the enemy. And here's the thing. Whenever, whenever conflict comes in a relationship, any relationship, it does not create disconnection. It reveals disconnection. And in that moment, we have to take responsibility and say, ah, I didn't build connection. And we try to build it. As much as it depends on you. You can't connect with everyone. They won't let you. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Now, here's the thing. I might go a few minutes over, but it'll just be a few minutes because i got to tell you this. Some of you this last year, I would think, voted to sell the property, not because you sought the Lord and felt like that's what he was saying, but because you didn't want to give more, serve more, work more, or pray more. And that was an easier way. Can't say that for sure, but if we're like the statistics across America, that would be the case. Some of you voted to keep the building at all costs, but you won't work more, pray more, serve more, give more. And that's not okay either. This last year, I told our board, we need to work on this property as if we're staying here forever. 
But we need to, so that means we need to take care of the property. That means I'm here shoveling snow and I'm here vacuuming things and I'm here cleaning and I'm here doing work. And I, here's the thing, I don't need you to say, oh, thank you, pastor. How do you do it, pastor? Because I don't do it for you. I used to, but I stopped. I now do it for him. Because if I do it for you, you'll forget to thank me once. And then I'll be upset. And then I'll feel bad. I don't do it for you, I do it for him. But because of him, I do it for you. It's so much better that way. And so I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna work until we can't be here. I'm not giving up. But we're gonna work also like we're leaving. And so we have intentionally tried to build a body of believers to go with us. Everyone has a seat at the table. Please don't run away just because you don't like your new seat. I want to show you some things from the scripture. And then I'm going to let you go. I'm like, but remember, this is not a day to be sorrowful, regretful. This is just what is. But what is going to change from this day forward? Because here's, let me tell you this. You do not have to be physically present to be connected. You could show up every time the doors are open and not be connected to this body. Some do. You could miss every other week. You could come once a month and be connected. Now, that doesn't mean fine reason. The question is, why are you here? And the question is, why aren't you here? And if they're a legit, because the legalistic elder brother says, if you miss a Sunday, if you're not here, it's, it's, your identity is not in showing up. Your identity's in him. But because my identity's in him, I show up. But I'm also okay if my family has a swim meet. I'm okay with it. Oh, America's going to hell in a handbasket because we have all these sports and activities. Hogwash. As long as you... As long as you are a disciple maker at that event. Ouch. I didn't even plan to say that. But it's truth. We got to be making disciples. We have got to learn what it is to be the body of Christ. Four scriptures. I'll read them fast and I'll close at 1135. Deal? Okay. I didn't even wait for you to say it. The American church has so individualized the gospel, it's in, a, in an unbiblical manner. We think it's okay to just show up at a service and then go home and live our own lives, and we worship Jesus, hit the head apart from his body, and it is so unbiblical. It's totally unbiblical. From the beginning, Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, this is key. So let's go to Genesis chapter two. But for Adam, who was created first, no suitable helper was found among the animals. So the Lord God calls man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
Then the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, this isn't just about marriage. It is about marriage. It's not just about marriage. You could read it that way, but it's not. It's about God's image being seen. And the only way God's image can be seen in mankind is if he's in us. Because God's in us. Because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's one. And so somehow he mysteriously takes a husband and a wife and he makes them one. Huh, you're already reading Ephesians 5, aren't you? Paul is talking about husbands loving their wives as their own bodies because he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body. They feed and they care for the body just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, when we come into Christ, we're one flesh. It's not okay for you to show up on Sunday and not think about the body until next Sunday. But we do. It's not okay that if I have to miss three Sundays in a row, I don't think about the body until I show up again. But I do. Because we've made it all about preference and style and this room. And I feel like it's something God might be tipping over. Not because he's mad at us. Not because he's, he's, he's like, okay, now I, I told you, and now I'm going to take something away from you because that's how our parents did it. No, because he said, they're going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. One more, I told you. 1 Corinthians 3, you were so close to this on Friday night, it's crazy. In fact, while you were reading, I, I apologize, I wasn't even listening because it just lit this up on the inside of me. I was making notes in the back, but praise God, you're just faithful anyway. See, I know people don't listen when I talk, so. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now, when we read that, we're like, I'm God's temple. I'm God's temple. But this is plural. And I'm not denying that you are God's temple, that the spirit of God lives in you, and everywhere you go, you are a carrier of his presence. So when you're at work being grumpy, why? You're a temple. God's presence lives in you. You're a son, you're a daughter of God. Ain't no boss on the planet that can take that away from you. Live in it. Oh, you don't know my boss. You don't know my God. Oh, I, please don't think I live this perfect. I've just been having people beat it into my head for the last three weeks. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you are together, you together, you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. 
This building is not God's temple. Man, I growing up, don't, don't you dare take that candy bar in the sanctuary. That is God's temple. No, it isn't. And I watched it growing up. I watched people care more about the carpet in the, the sanctuary where I grew up than they did about each other. They fought about it with each other. I watched it. I did it. I was a part of it. I stood out in the lobby with my friend and we cut down the pastor while he was preaching because he wasn't preaching what we agreed with. And I had to repent. And God somehow miraculously brought us to the same altar in Kansas City over seven years later so that I could turn around and repent to him properly. How does that happen? I don't know. God does some crazy stuff. I mean, I watched people have a conversation with me, walk out into the lobby. When I was a kid growing up, I was a kid, I didn't know anything. And I was preaching one day and some guy comes up and says, do you think Benny Hinn is the Antichrist? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. What does that have to do with my sermon? Well, I'm just saying. I'm like, I don't care. And he got mad at me and he walked away. And I saw him out in the lobby talking to someone, looking at me. So when you know when people are having a conversation and they're looking towards you, you know it's about you. So I walked right into the conversation and said, how's it going, everybody? And he stopped talking and he walked away. And we think that's okay, but I did it too. I thought it was okay. It is not okay. Do you know that God says committing homosexual acts is an abomination? In the scripture. Did you know that one who sows discord among brothers is an abomination in the scripture? And that person who's, and we all, we rationalize. I'm only tearing down that pastor because of the way he's, he's living. I'm only tearing down that other person in the body of Christ because of how they're living. There are people that are fooling themselves because they've been measuring boards one eighth at a time. And they're so far from the biblical standard. They're tearing down the body of Christ. Run from it. If there are people that are divisive in the body of Christ, it says don't even eat with them. Oh, we eat together, but we don't talk about the church. Doesn't matter. Just eating with them, you're going to pick it up. I promise you. Because you'll talk about somebody. Because that's what we do. Well, who's going to reach those divisive people? Warn them from afar. I'm serious. This is so, this, we've, we've fooled ourselves into thinking that fresh water and polluted water can come from the same string when clearly in the scripture it says this cannot be. So we, you're going to have to come back next week to finish it. I lied. I'm two minutes over. You're going to have to come back next week because we're going to talk about our core values because people are like, well, we need to be living out our vision now. We are. We are. And we're, we're, we're building disciples, we're making disciples, we're baptizing believers. But here's the thing, if I have to sell the building, I'm going to sell the building. If we have to move downtown, we're going to move downtown. We're going to talk about that next week. You're going to have to come back. There's all kinds of stuff. And sometimes I feel like a crazy person. But here's the thing, some of you are looking to me to give you peace. I can't do it. I can't give you assurance that this is a vision from God. I can't. But I can tell you this, seek God. Seek God with us in house of prayer. Because it, you won't find peace any other place. I mean, there, there's not enough facts or details I can lay out for you that's going to make it plain to you. You've got, you've got to seek the Lord. You've got to seek the Lord. Because I could be totally off my rocker. But here's the thing. I did not present one thing to this body 
that I haven't run past 16 leaders in our church and asked them to pray into first. And so maybe we're all off our rockers or maybe we're gonna change the world. You wanna change the world? Come with us. We're gonna make mistakes. It's gonna look sloppy sometimes and who knows what it's gonna look like in the end. But it might be fun if you like adventure. I don't, so it's not gonna be fun, but Pastor Mark helps it be fun for me. All right, let's stand. All I'm gonna do is pray a prayer blessing over you today. You need to, as you leave today, in fact, I want you to just close your eyes for a second. You know, as we read in the scripture, there were those that worked with all their might, they worked zealously, and there were those who didn't do anything. You're welcome here, no matter which one you are. You can show up, you can have a worship service with us. You're, every person in, on the planet is welcome in this room, all of them. You might tend to get miserable here if you don't give yourself to the kingdom fully. Because our vision is to build the kingdom, it's to build saints, it's to build disciple makers. And that's gonna make all of us uncomfortable as we move forward. And so we need to press into God and we need to press into each other. You need to find a way to be connected to the body. It's on you. I mean, we do everything we can. I print, a, I print a program every single week. I play secretary. I put it in your mailbox so you can stay connected. We have a website. We have apps. We have Facebook pages. We have texting systems. We've got everything I know to do to connect you to the body. I put uh, things on Facebook. You can make appointments with me. You can call me. You can ask me to have coffee. You can do whatever you need to do. You can connect to this body if you want to. So you have to ask yourself, why are you here or why aren't you here? And only you can answer that question. And so, Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in Restoration Church. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. God, thank you for the, the fasting, the prayer that has taken place this week to deepen our relationship with you. God, thank you that you're using us to, to love this community, to reach this community. God, to build your kingdom here. God, thank you for our global partners around the world that are building your kingdom. God, thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. I pray, Holy Spirit, in this week ahead that you would do what only you can do. We cannot make unity in the body. Only you can. We can maintain it after you bring it, but Holy Spirit, bring unity to this body like never before. Show us Show us how to attach to the body. Show us how to connect to the body of Christ. Show us how to go against our feelings and press in by faith to what you're telling us to do. Show us the steps of faith that we need to take. God, direct our steps in this week ahead. Reveal it to us as we continue to read through the book of Nehemiah together. God, show us the plans and purposes that you have for our lives, but above all, show us our identity as sons and daughters. God, root us and ground us in your love, I pray in Jesus' name. And God, I pray your blessing over everyone in this room right now. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you lift up your countenance upon them, that you'd give them peace. God, that you'd be gracious to them in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, God bless you as you go. We will have our prayer team available in the front. If you want prayer and you didn't get prayer for something, uh, please see one of them before you leave. God bless you as you go.